Hi, and welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church Podcast. We want to thank you for joining us online and remind you to feel free to visit our website at seacoastvineyard.com anytime for up-to-date information on our local church here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. If you would like to give financially to this ministry, whether that's a one-time gift or a recurring monthly gift, simply click on the Give tab at our website and give however God leads you. Now, we want you to enjoy this message from God's Word. Good morning. Man, great to see all of you guys. If this is your first time with us, uh, welcome to the Vineyard. My name's Tim. I'm the senior pastor here, and uh, welcome to my beach. Um, if you're vacationing here, it's great to have you. Uh, you should move here. Yeah, you should. Everybody should move here. See, I'm the opposite than the bumper sticker. I'm like, come on down. Yeah, move here. It's great here. It's awesome. If you're wondering what the Christmas tree is, no, we're not some weird cult with Christmas in August. But we did have Christmas in August, actually. Uh, all through the summer, our uh, all. Nations International Cafe has been ministering to, feeding, befriending, uh, having, offering a safe place for about, I think, 600 and some students from overseas. International students have come through our building during the summer. This was our second summer doing this, and so uh, last year they did a Thanksgiving dinner near the end of uh, the summer for them. And this past week on Tuesday night, they did a Christmas dinner for all the students, and so there were two turkeys up here. I've never seen people more excited over turkeys. And they were taking pictures, you know, to send back home of the turkeys. And uh, uh, Christy and the team, they asked them to write on an ornament uh, the greatest gift they've ever been given. And so that's what's on this tree is from the celebration on Tuesday night. If you want to come by after the service and take a look at some of the things they wrote, uh, it would encourage you, and church, you guys are doing such a great job here of loving. These students are so far away from home. And like this one, this one says, thanks to, thanks, well, two should be in there, thanks to people who helped us a lot. I really appreciate it. Thank God to give us the chance to come to here. I'll remember the good experience forever. Isn't that beautiful? So uh, come by and check it out, and go team. Oh, man. Awesome. You ever been given a job uh, or you maybe you got a job and then you received a project and you said, this is exactly what I was looking for. This job is so exciting and I can't wait to get involved in it. And so you started the project only to find out just a little bit of time into it that you did not have the resources to complete it. I mean, that, that can kind of damper your enthusiasm, right? I mean, you get so excited, then suddenly, I don't have, I, where's this tool? Where's that tool? Where's this person that was supposed to help me? Where's this? And suddenly, all of the joy, all of the, exa- you know, turns to exasperation. Uh, all of the elation is deflation. And, and you're all of a sudden, the job is just not that wonderful anymore. It just doesn't appear to be so exciting well, some of us come into the church, or we come to Christ, and, and we get so excited. Jesus has forgiven us of our sins. We know we have a new life, and people tell us how much God loves us, and we start serving God together with one another. 
Uh, it's just a fun time. And then somewhere along the way, you start getting, there's rules to this thing. Oh, there are do's and don'ts to this thing. There's things I have to measure up to. And then suddenly what was so exciting before after you get into it for a while is is just pretty depressing. It just it's like I can't do this. I don't have the resources to live the way I'm being told I should live. Well, we're in a series. This is our third week. On the Holy Spirit. This week we're looking at the Holy Spirit and the Christian. And uh, we're going to be over our text today. I kept it extremely short. It's over in Romans 8 verse 14. If you have your Bibles or your app or your phone or your iPad or whatever. And you want to look it up. It will be on the screens as well. Over the last few weeks we've learned that the Holy Spirit is probably the most neglected one of the Godhead. Uh, We don't talk about the Holy Spirit very much We don't sometimes even understand who he is, what he does. And uh, and so we don't give him credit. uh, We don't look to him. But we know that from the last few weeks, he's God. The Holy Spirit is just as much God as Jesus is, just as much God as the Father is. We found out that the Holy Spirit is like a person. He can be grieved. He can be sinned against like God. He can pull back. He can go, oh, man, did you? No, you didn't do that. You know, like, oh, no, that just grieves me. We found out that he could be a comfort. He comes alongside. He talks to us. Jesus said he would teach us all things. And so this is the journey we're in. Today, again, we're going to look at what part does the Holy Spirit play in our lives. And we can look at a lot of things, but we're going to look at one that I think is really important. So I'm going to pray, and we're going to jump into looking at what it means to grow up. In Christ, to grow up as a follower of Jesus, and the Holy Spirit has everything to do with that. Matter of fact, if it ever happens, it will happen because of the Holy Spirit in your life. So, Father, thank you uh, for this time to come together. Thank you for everyone that's come out on a Sunday morning here. And we ask you to breathe life on your word. We ask for you to open it up for us. I pray for you. Help me in my weakness, God. I pray for your gift of teaching for the next uh, few minutes. And Holy Spirit, we pray to you. We ask you, sir, to come. To come and make yourself known in our midst today. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. You are the presence of God. You're the presence of God that's experienced. You're the presence of God that works in us and through us. And that makes God the Father and Jesus known to us. And so, Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. Do whatever you want to do, because whatever you do will be good. So come and do it in our midst today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's read this together. It's a very short verse. So here it is on the screens. Are you ready? For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Let's say it again. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. You, uh, in your handout is a fill-in. I put one of these in every week just so you can follow along with me. Some of our small group groups do a kind of a recap and revisit this uh, in their small groups and talk about it. So if you want to follow along, you should have a pen and the fill-in's in there. And your first uh, takeaway on this verse about the Holy Spirit is this. You are 
If you're a follower of Jesus, if you belong to Christ, you are going somewhere. You are going somewhere. It says you're led by the Spirit of God. Some of us get to the point in our lives as Christians, we go like, I'm just stuck. Have you felt like that? Like I'm not growing, I'm not I'm going backwards, I, I don't know what's happening to me. I don't know if I believe that. I'll be honest with you because I think the Holy Spirit, I don't, know, I don't doubt I could get stuck at all. But when it says the Holy Spirit will come alongside us and will lead us and take us, sometimes I think we sell him short on what he's doing in our lives because when you came to Christ and, and you surrendered and he wooed you, I mean, he drafted you. You didn't run to him and beg him. I hope you know that, right? You know, that was his love, his love pouring out on you that wooed you, that gave you the heart to come to him. And so it was his decision to call you to follow him. And if it was his decision to follow him, to come and be, you know, to, to, to be a part of this, then it's his decision and responsibility to see that you get in the way and get going. So I'm not so sure sometimes we, we may feel like we get stuck, but I believe that with the Holy Spirit in our lives, we are headed somewhere. Jesus told his disciples, he said, the Holy Spirit's going to come. It's going to be with you forever. He's going to go before you. He's going to lead you out. You're going to go into all the world. There was always a mission attached to the Holy Spirit coming and living in the disciples' lives. He's, you know, this is a, it's got power to it. Matter of fact, that's one of the words of the Holy Spirit. Dunamis, power. Pneuma, air, moving. It's dynamic. It comes in it. We don't know where the wind comes from. We don't know where it goes, but it pushes us this way. It moves us that way, but it's dynamic. And so the Holy Spirit is taking us somewhere if we're following Jesus. It's like a GPS, you know, that we may not be able to see where we're headed. Matter of fact, there's a great story over in Mark 6.45. And I won't read the whole thing because it's quite a journey, but let me just kind of give it to you. Over in Mark 6.45, the disciples are in the boat. And they're having a tough time rowing. It's a storm. A storm has come up and they're just flailing away. Flailing away. Jesus is up on the hill. He's praying. He's spending some time with his father. He looks down and he sees his guys and he goes, oh, my guys are really in trouble. They suck at sailing. They look at them. You know, they're fishermen. They're used to being still. And look at the storm. And so uh, Jesus goes down off the hill. It says he walks out on the water. They think he's a ghost. And he comes along, alongside and says, hey, how y'all doing? And climbs into the boat and with them. And when he's in the boat, they say, let's, let's set sail, right? Let's set sail for Bethsaida. Now, if you're looking at the Sea of Galilee, Bethsaida's up here. Let's head this way. They're down here, right? So they set sail. The storm comes up. And as you go on through the story, where do they end up at? Genesaret. They don't end up at Bethsaida. Exactly where Jesus said they were going to go. They end up at another place because of the storm that's in their life. But you know what? If they had not made it Genesaret, we wouldn't have the story of the Syrophoenician woman's daughter who was demon-possessed and Jesus delivered. We wouldn't have that story. We wouldn't have the story about the, the deaf and the mute man that was healed by Jesus. We wouldn't have that story if that ship, if that boat had not been blown off course. We wouldn't have the story of the 4,000 people being fed by seven loaves of bread And it says, a few small fish. We wouldn't have those stories. Now, they did make it. They finally did make it. 
But here's the deal. If Jesus is in your boat, even the storms of life, when you think you're getting blown off course, could actually be the destination that you need to be headed to. Jesus said, let's take off. Let's head for Bethsaida. They end up in Gennesaret, and he heals people. He delivers people. He makes his way through Tyre. It's a whole other adventure. It's almost 10 to 12 miles being blown off course, but it wasn't off course, was it? Ask the Syrophoenician mother if it was blown off course. Ask the man that was healed from being deaf and mute if they were blown off course. You see, your life, sometimes being blown off course is not off course. Maybe even right now you're feeling like, man, I have surely been blown way away from where I thought I would be right now. But maybe God is working in you right where you are right now. Because if you belong to him, he is leading you. The Holy Spirit is leading you. Acts 1.8, Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will be in you. He's going to help you. And he will be with you forever. How do y'all say it? Forever. You know, ever. Forever. Even when the storm takes you off course, the Holy Spirit will be with you when? Now, does that include storms? Does that include challenges? Does that include looking around and going, I don't reckon this does not look like Bethsaida. What am I doing in Gennesaret? I will be with you forever. I'll be with you wherever you go. The Holy Spirit's a great leader. And your second feeling is this. You are a child of God. You are a child of God. Are the children of God. And a father loves to care for their sons and daughters. And if the Holy Spirit lives within you, that is who he is to you. You know, he's a good father to you. And uh, we do grow up, and God wants us to grow up. But isn't it... uh, it's interesting, like I've got, a, I've got a son that's six foot two and weighs 215 pounds of just lean, mean machine. But he's still my kid in a way, you know. Boy, you know. And, uh, <laughs> but, you know, the father, the father, though he wants us to mature as Christians, he will always look at us as his sons and daughters. We're his children. And the reason the scripture uses this is because it's such an intimate description. Because we don't feel like we're cared for many times. We don't feel like we really have a father who would come alongside, protect us, be with us forever. We don't believe that because we've never experienced that before. And the Holy Spirit comes along and says, you're my children. And the father goes, yeah, you're my children, but I want you to grow up, all right? But you'll always be my kid. Always my kid. John uh, Wimber, our uh, founder, we were talk, uh, he used to talk about sanctification. Can you say that fancy word? Sanctification. Yeah, kind of, you just got to kind of get into it. Sanctification. You know, it's a good rap word. And uh, you know, it, it sounds like a weird word. I like the Latin uh, definition of it, which is you know, sanctus, holy, and then to make or, or to work. And that is to work God's holiness or to make you holy. To work God's holiness in you, to you. And that's what the scripture uses this term sanctification. Fancy term, but it simply means for God to make you into the holy person that you are. When you come to Christ, that's who God makes you. Is He makes you holy, but then he begins to make you holy. Does that make sense? You are becoming what you are. 
This is one of the profound, uh, profound theologies of, uh, of knowing Jesus. Is that once we come to Christ, we are everything we're ever going to be. But we're working on being everything we're going to be. <laughs> we can have the hope. you know, We can have the expectation that we are going to get there one day. And we're going to talk more about that in a minute. But Galatians 4, 6 through 7 says, Because you are his sons, his daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you're no longer slaves. The relationship is not like God dealing with you as a slave. It's dealing with you as his son or his daughter. You're no longer a slave, but but God's child. And since you are his child, God made you an heir. You have an inheritance. You have an inheritance in him. And part of that is that you will be what you're growing up to be. Because that is what you are, uh, actually. And again, that sounds contradictory, but hold on. Sanctification uh, is being consecrated or set apart for the use of God. And if you have said yes to God, if you've said yes to Christ, I'm going to follow you, Jesus, I give up, I surrender, I got my draft notice, my generation, I got my draft notice, you know what, I'm not going to Canada, I'm giving in, here it is, I surrender. If you've done that, then the Holy Spirit came right into, and I believe this, into your being, I believe literally, not some like that, but into some part of your body, the Holy Spirit, the presence of God lives right there in you. You are now his vessel. The temple in the Old Testament where the Holy Spirit would come and God would come and manifest himself. Now he manifests himself inside of you. Your body is his temple. That's where he resides. In you. And the Father loves you. And the Holy Spirit, God himself living within you, is working within you to sanctify you. To set you apart. To make you what you are. What God says you are. For you to receive the inheritance of being everything that God wants you to be. John Wimber said, uh, that's the founder of the vineyard. Uh, He died in 1997. But he said this, If you don't understand the goal of sanctification, you'll go through undue gyrations of fear and pain when harsh realities emerge in your life. The aim of sanctification is to be made more and more into the likeness of Christ in order that we may fulfill God's unique purposes on earth. Beautiful. That's the goal of it. And sometimes when we get hit with tough things in life, we wonder, where is God? I mean, I, I, it's like, God, you know, I gave you my life and, and things didn't get that great. They actually got a little tougher sometimes. Where are you? What's going on? And if you don't understand the process of sanctification, that God works through sufferings. And he works through joyful times too and all of that, but he works it all together for good. If you don't understand that, then it can really confuse you when those times come. Because you'll go, God, why do you hate me? <laughs> and he, he doesn't hate you. You know, he wants you to grow up. It's, I told the first service, I said, it's like when my kid would run across the road without looking both ways, you know, and I'd snatch him up and I'd fuss at him and I'd go, you know, why did you do that? You know, you should look both ways. It wasn't about him running across the road. It was about him not growing up enough to look both ways and to be mature so he could live life. A fuller and longer life, right? It wasn't about the behavior as much as it was about the maturity. And God is all about growing us up. 
He wants us to have our inheritance as mature Christian adults. And so uh, your third fill in here is this. You are not on your own. You're not on your own on this. You're not left alone. And God says, okay, now that you know me, here's your Bible. Here's your Bible. Uh, Go do the best you can. You tried that? Because I got the t-shirt on that one. All right? I've been to that one many, many times. That is a ruthless journey. It is a ruthless journey. Because if you have any success for any length of time, you feel real good about yourself. Which is ego and pride. And then God has to deal with that. But then, somehow, you read along John 16, John 17. You see where Jesus prepares his disciples, like we've looked at over the last few weeks, to prepare us for the Holy Spirit to come and live within us. That I don't have to do this on my own. Matter of fact, I can't do this. I can't do it on my own. The Holy Spirit has come to live within me and to work his good, righteous deeds in and through me. And I just have to, you know, I have to cooperate with him. That's the part of the growing up. Don't forget, this is a work of the Holy Spirit in our life, not just our work, yeah. Uh, Matter of fact, this whole work is not just us individually. Wayne Grudem, a wonderful theologian in his uh, systematic theology book, says sanctification is usually a corporate process in the New Testament. It is something that happens in community. It happens in community. For you to be able to, be, to grow up and to be all that God intends for you to be is only going to happen if you get in community. You've got to rub shoulders with other people. How do you learn to forgive? It's not fun, is it? But yet the scripture leads us that we should forgive people, right? How do we prefer those over ourselves? How do we forgive? How do we serve those who don't serve us? All of this stuff is all about being with people. We cannot do this without one another. And uh, a lot of times in church, we bail out right when the friction starts. You know, we, we start serving with someone or we have a difference with someone and we're like, man, I am not taking this. I'm out of here. This person is a jerk. This person's that right when the heat's heating up, right when God is starting to work his good work in us, when it starts getting uncomfortable, and then we bail out. We've got to be with people in order to see God grow us up. And uh, if we all commit to that, we can have a fun time. It might get a little uncomfortable at times, but if we look at each other and go, you know what? I'm not going anywhere. You going anywhere? Not me. I mean, my wife and I have had to do that over the last 44 years. You look at each other, right? And you go, man, this is tough right now. Yeah, it is. Are you going anywhere? Nope, me either. All right, what are we going to do about it then? Let's work it out. You know, let's understand each other. Let's see what God is doing. And God begins to do his work in us. We're not on our own. We have one another. And most of all, we have the Holy Spirit, the teacher in us, leading us. Now, how do we cooperate with the Holy Spirit? These are... Your next three fill-ins. The first one is confess. 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 James 5, 13 through 16 says, Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. 
And such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Confessing to God and to one another is one of the, it's the greatest gift probably God ever gave you because that's how you started your walk with God. Your first act of worship in your whole life was when you said, I see that you're God and I'm not. Forgive me, God, for trying to live life on my own. I see who you are. That was your first act of worship. It was a confession. And you know what? That's a great tool in our lives as Christians to confess where we've blown it, where we've messed up. And uh, even getting with one another and getting to know one another and be able to get with someone who has gone to look at you and go, you just confessed that. Do you realize that God has forgiven you? Do you realize and have someone tell you that is crazy good. It's a part of us growing up and it's, it's a gift that we give to one another and that uh, others give to us in letting us know that indeed through the Holy Spirit, that all of our sins are forgiven. And not just forgiven, but we can be cleansed. First John 1, 8 through 10 says, If we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves. So we're all in the same boat. Right? It's like, listen, there is no one lonely sinner in this room this morning. We're going, I wonder who he is. Who's the sinner in this room? It's really tough for this guy today, you know, whoever he is. Whoever he is, is it's hard on him. I'm sure it's hard on him. No, 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 no. If we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves. This doesn't take God by surprise. And I'm not belittling sin at all. It took, matter of fact, it put Jesus on the cross, right? Horrible thing. Horrible thing. But listen to this. If we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And that would be good enough, but look at the next part of it. He always goes beyond, God does, and to cleanse us from all wickedness or all unrighteousness. Not only does he forgive you for what you're confessing, but he moves in and all the tentacles that are around that sin and all the things and the shame and all of that, he begins to walk through that. He begins to erase it and work on it and get it out of the way. And as we experience his forgiveness, we grow up, we become appreciative, we go, our God's faithful. Our God is good, and the Holy Spirit inside of us cries, Abba, Father, you're my dad. You have not disowned me. I've been born again to you, and I've been adopted. Isn't that crazy? God just wanted to make sure you knew you were his. Not only were you born again to him, but he adopted you. You have a birth certificate, and you have adoption papers, both. (laughs) It's like you were born again to him, and he goes, I just want them to make sure. I'm going to adopt them too, okay? Uh, And he just adopts them. He wants you to know how much he cares for you. And sanctification, sanctification, here's another. This is, this is a beautiful theology. If you can grab this, I hope you can. Sanctification or becoming holy, living a life of holiness, is a finished work. This is theologically, okay? It's done. Because Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, right? This is Scripture. Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, and the Scripture says we sit with Him. So positionally, we're already already there. 
positionally. But here it is. It's a finished work, and we know it's an ongoing work, right? It's an ongoing work, and it is a future hope. We're going to get there one day. We're going to get there. So what year, I love this phrase. I don't know where I got this from, but you are becoming what you are. (laughs) God says he has cleansed you and made you whole. And you are cleansed from every bit of unrighteousness and you are holy. So now in this life, the Holy Spirit works within us to make that real. And we have the hope that one day we're going to experience that completely. Now, when you get down and out and you feel like I just can't measure up, you remind yourself of that. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're already there positionally. But God is doing his good work in you here and now so you can experience what awaits for you when the kingdom comes in fullness. And we have that hope that indeed we will be just like he wants us to be one day. And that's the work that we're in. Um, It's a status, one theologian said, it's a status conferred, but it's also a process which continues to be wrought in us. We pray that kingdom come, right? Why do we pray that? Because when the kingdom comes, the king is ruling. And when the kingdom comes, we say, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Because in heaven, God gets his way 100% of the time. So Jesus tells his disciples, you pray the same thing. Pray that the kingdom would come to your life, to this earth, so that God would get his way just like he gets it in heaven. But we know that doesn't happen all the time, does it? Not in our lives or others, but we're still to pray it. We're to pray, thy kingdom come. Come in my marriage. Come in my business. Come in my relationships. Come in my sexual life. Come in my financial life. Come, king, king of glory. Come and be king in that area of my life. And that is the ongoing work of sanctification as we become more like him. John Wimber uh, said, I don't live under the power of sin. I'm free from it. It's not that I don't sin. It's that I know what to do with sin when it raises its ugly head. (laughs) He also said this, It is the Spirit's primary job to teach me how to straighten up. (laughs) That's classic Wimber then. The result of sanctification is holiness. It's the Spirit's primary job to teach me how to straighten up. And that's His ongoing work in our lives. As followers of Jesus. And confession is a part of that. And we reminds us. That God is here to forgive. And to cleanse at all times. So we confess. And your next one is. We continue. We don't give up. Somebody in the first service came up to me and said. Please tell everybody. Do not let go. Continue. <laughs> I said. You're right brother. He says. Tell them don't stop. Because God has not stopped working in them. To continue on. Don't bail out. Romans 8, 1, what does he say? So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Then Romans 6, 11 says, So you also should consider or reckon yourselves to be dead to the power of sin. Reckon yourselves dead and alive to God through Jesus Christ. You know, 
You say, well, I'm not dead. I got stuff I have to struggle with. Yeah, you know what you have in your life? A zombie. <laughs> Those of you who don't watch Walking Dead, I am not, uh, I'm not endorsing it, but I will confess that I've seen every single episode. <laughs> uh, but that is what your old life is like. It's like the Walking Dead. It's dead and gone, but it keeps showing its ugly head every now and then, and you've got to put it down. But do you understand this? It's dead. It's dead. That zombie is dead. It still wants to get up and it still wants to walk and it still wants to harass you and it still wants to mess with you, but it's dead. And one day, one day Jesus is going to come back and they will go in the ground and stay down forever. But you remind yourself, Christian, that every zombie that pops up in your life of sin is already dead. You just got to deal with it one more time. And you put it down, and you just keep putting them down, and you keep going on. And that's what sin's like, right? I mean, sin's like that. It's nasty. It wants to eat up your life, you know? It wants to take you and consume you. It wants to just take over your whole life and make you one of them, right? Nah, we put it down, put it down, put it down every time. Romans 6, 11 says, consider yourselves to be dead. There's the zombie, dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Put it to death. And thirdly, what we do, we confess, we continue on, we don't stop, we counterattack. We go on the offensive. You know, next, you got your football team for this coming year. You know, next week we're going to have our tailgate party. Going to be a lot of food out here. Everybody dressed in their favorite football jerseys. And we're going to have a lot of fun here. But, uh, you know, we don't just sit back and go, well, let's just cruise through here, you know. It's, no, remember, we're going somewhere with God. We're being led somewhere. Even when it feels like we're being blown off course, we're still going somewhere. This is an adventure. Jesus told his disciples, look, come follow me. I forgot what, how many times it was. I wrote it down, but I can't find it. Uh, you know, but he told them a lot of times, follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me. And he's still saying that. Come on, follow me. Let's go. Let's move on the counterattack. Let's keep moving. Let's keep doing this thing. James 4, 7 through 10 says, So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil. Just don't let, you know, let him come around and wreak havoc in your life. Resist him, and he will flee from you. Come close to God. The devil comes, you run to God, and God will come close to you. He'll come up beside you. That's the Holy Spirit will come up beside you. He's with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He's there. So when the devil comes, you run to God. God's there with you. And he describes it like an Old Testament ritual of being sorry for your sins, which is a good thing. That's when confession comes, when you feel this purifying come to your life as you pour it out before God. And you say, I'm really sorry, God. I know you love you. You're my dad. And I'm sorry I ran across the road in front of that car. You know, and God's not mad about you running across the road. What he's concerned with is that you live long enough to grow up. (laughs) It's not about the rules. It's about growing up. It's about maturity, not obeying a bunch of rules. There's like, uh, what, 60-some thousand verses or something in the Bible, 66,000 or something like that. I think 6,000 of those verses are rules. 
Most of them in the Old Testament. But of those 6,000 rules in the Bible, most of them are redundant. They keep getting repetitive. You know, they're the same ones over and over again. And also, they are for a particular people in a particular situation at a particular time. They're not always transferable to us. But if you take 20%, there's 20% of the scriptures are rules. There's still another 80% left. About 20% would be rules when you filter out all of the redundancy and all. And, and, and so, repeating. And so, you've got 80%. And again, the 20% that's there is not, about the, is not about the behavior. It's about the maturing. God is after the maturing. That's what He wants. He wants us to grow up in Him. 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9 says, Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion. Like a roaring lion. Not a roaring lion. Like a roaring lion. Doesn't mean he's not dangerous. You're no match for him on your own. But with the Holy Spirit inside of you, he's got a costume on. Making himself look like he's a lot stronger than he is. Like a roaring lion. Looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him. And be strong in your faith. And look at this. Remember that your family of believers. All over the world. Are going through the same kind of sufferings. That you are. You're not in this alone. This is a community event. A community strategy for us. To become what God has already said we are and what we will be one day. That is the joy of following Jesus. And that is the hope of having the Holy Spirit live within us. Let's pray. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast from Seacoast Vineyard Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We look forward to you joining us next time on iTunes or at our website, www.seacoastvineyard.com. Dot com.